the basement can be a lonely place. Hello? Hello? Is anyone in here? Yet, at the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast, the basement is all that Jeremy and John have. Their wives don't want them geeking out on classic rock in the living room. Can you blame them? But you can help. For as little as $3 a month, you can become a supporter on Patreon. Join today and end the cycle. Visit patreon.com slash classicguitarrock. They'll still be in the basement. But at least it's not your basement. Hello? Is anyone in here? to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other and all points in between, the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. And now, your host, Jeremy Lunnan. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Who is he? Where's he coming from? It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock with uh, Jeremy and John. John, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing? Good, good. We we uh, we just jumped in and started talking about crap. We did, and then we finally said, "Let's save this for the show." Because at our age, we only have so much energy, right? We don't want to do it again. We have lots of energy, but it's not really directed towards anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. I, so, I do have to confess, I took a nap today. I did too. Yeah. Here's what's weird: is I took my nap from like. This is really, this is sad. From like 10.30 to almost noon. That's mid-morning. That that's is, weird. That's what you... I just was tired. I couldn't, I mean, <laughs> uh, hopefully my boss isn't listening, but I said I didn't, I had a, a window on my calendar. And of course, you're like me, I'm sure now. Your day is just jam-packed with meetings. And yes. now they're all Zoom meetings. Yes. So they're all virtual meetings. And uh, I just said, I, I'm tired, and I'm going to lay down. So I laid down, and I took a little nap. That's good. I'm not going to apologize for it, John. I, you shouldn't. Uh, that's one thing I've noticed, like, post-pandemic is, like, we were relying on Zoom. and I use Microsoft Teams at work. Yep, that's what we use. To connect with people. Mm-hmm. And it's a very strange paradigm, at least for the old guys like me. You know, I want to... I want to be in a room with somebody. I want to, because so much of communication is not strictly what they're saying. It's, it's the way they're saying it, yeah. the way they're postured, those kind of things that convey more meaning. So when something yeah. is taken out of context, it's because they just take the sound bite. And yeah, yeah. I, I, and I am, I'm going to admit, I'm the guy in meetings that tells everyone to turn their camera on. I am. I'm that guy because first of all, my, by profession, I'm a I'm a trainer, right? So my thing is about training, and of course now it's training virtually. And to your point, eighty percent of our communication is nonverbal. And when you get on a call with twenty people and everyone's got their camera off, it kills it. You got to have your you got to turn your cameras on, yeah. and that's what's ironic that we're doing podcasting, yeah, without cameras. But yeah. someday, someday we'll have cameras. Yeah, we're thinking about doing cameras. Tell yeah. us what you think in the comments section. Ooh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we'll do that. So last episode we were talking about Dark Side of the Moon, right? Yeah. So and that was a meandering. We, we, we didn't. We went all over the yeah, place. Yeah, we had life happen between Which, the, yeah. our last podcast and yeah, and and, and the it one showed. Last week. I think it showed. And, and we haven't talked and you know those mm-hmm. kind of things. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully we'll meander a little bit today, too. Yeah, I the meandering, all who wander are not lost, John. <laughs> I think life is a big wander. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, so here's what we're going to talk about. And I just literally, 
threw this at John just a little bit ago and I said, hey, John, here's what I want to talk about. And then it'll morph into kind of a broader conversation. But I was listening to, on the weekend, a great album. It's uh, Permanent Waves by Rush. Okay. And I don't want to put you, I always say I don't want to put you on the spot, but I, I ex- 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 exactly want to put you on a spot. So uh, is there a, an album you can point to or an artist you can point to that is a gateway, right? That when you heard, that was when you really got interested in music. Can you think of one or two that were the big ones that really got you interested in music. Yes. The the first thing I noticed, or the first thing I had was my, my grandma, I think I mentioned this before, she bought me a clock, AM, FM clock radio. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing I had, a little tiny little, probably two and a half inch speaker. Right. And I we had, I could get AM radio and I could get <laughs> FM radio. And we were kind of out in the boondocks, so mm-hmm. I got maybe one or two channels of pop music. So is this central Washington? No, this is, yeah. Oh yeah. It's down the Tri-Cities. Okay. All right. Okay. Perfect. But, uh, I'd listen to the, the pop stations if I could, Mm -hmm. but, um, I really fell in love with, uh, I've really noticed music when the police song came on the radio. Okay. Spirits in the material world. Okay. So there's something interesting about keyboards in that. Keyboards have what's called an envelope. All sound has an envelope. Right. Basically, you have an attack, you have sustain, you have a, a, de- a decay and a release. So when you're working with keyboards, you can use those kind of things. But what happens is if you move the attack point slightly back, it, it falls on a different beat. Mm. So like when a trumpet plays, it doesn't instantly start. Like if you hit a snare drum, it yeah, starts immediately. It's, it got to build up because you're blowing on the air in there. So right. if you're a really good trumpet player which I never really was, even though I played it, mm-hmm. was that you would always start your note just slightly early. It had a feel thing where you'd start, start slightly early before the beat. So when your envelope hit the peak, it would sound like you're playing on, on the right beat. time. So Spirits in the Material World had this keyboard sound where it was off by almost like I think a 16th note. So it had a completely different feel, and you never knew where the one was. Right. So you know, I'm used to the you know four on the floor, the 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 back heavy backbeat on two and four with the snare, mm-hmm. and the song came along and was like, "Where is one? Where right. is the one?" You know, it kind of throws you off a little when you hear it. And then they come in with a chorus with the heavy backbeat, exactly. Going to the verse, and you're lost again. Yep. So yep. that that was kind of interesting to me sonically. So I would say that was the first time I really noticed music. Right. And and I it's it's funny you mentioned that song because one of the earliest ones I think of was from a few years earlier, but it was actually a police song too. It was the first time I heard Roxanne. I was like, what is this? What is this music? This is interesting, you know? And I thought I don't know. And and this was, you know, I'm probably 5th grade you know, 10, 11 years old, and I'm starting to notice things like that. But the reason I asked you the question, I I mentioned that I was listening to Permanent Waves, and my initial thought was, I want to talk about Alex Lifeson. Gotcha. And so, so, first of all, just Rush in general. Rush was one of those bands, a little later than when I heard you know, I, I can I can give you examples of, you know, hearing Roxanne for the first time, hearing different songs on the radio. My my older brother was already listening to stuff like Sticks and Kiss and Bad Company. So I I heard some of that in the house as well. But but then there were just some and I think Spirits in the Material World and Roxanne are both perfect examples of a different it wasn't the power chords right. you know, that I was hearing in my house. It was, there was different, it was a different, the, the rhythms were different. You mentioned the keyboard sound. And then similar when I heard Rush for the first time in the, the Gateway album for me was 2112. But an interesting thing happened for me with Rush, and I've talked about this on other episodes. I heard 2112, I was in seventh grade, maybe eighth grade, this is around 1980, and I had to get it. So I go to the record store. They didn't have it there, but they had All the World's a Stage, the live album that came out right after 2112. And they played 2112 on that album. I thought, well, I'll just buy that. So my first Rush album was a live album. It was All the World's a Stage, which opened me up to the pre-2112 stuff. But what's weird, weird maybe isn't the right word, 
But my next Rush album that I owned, so I went from 2112, All the World's a Stage, to Moving Pictures. So that's 76 to 81. So it's a five-year leap, right? I missed everything in between. Right. And they, they, they changed, they changed a, lot. a lot. And so when I heard Moving Pictures, as I really liked 2112, and so I bought this cassette of Moving Pictures... And and at the time, so yeah, here's the time frame. Moving Pictures had just come out, so it was brand new. And I had just in the previous year, you know, got 2112. But it was so different. It was almost like, is this the same is this the same band? This is like completely different. And, and then I've gone back and filled in all the before all the after up till presto so presto i think came out in 90 and then i just i, I didn't leave rush they left me right <laughs> i mean that's not to say i don't like the newer stuff but i just couldn't get into it like the the older stuff but the thing about alex lifes and first of all he's in a band with neil peart and getty lee right and if you sit down and listen to any of the three in an interview, I would, IQ-wise, I would guess they are one of the smartest bands. Every single one of them is a really smart guy. They're very, very smart. Very intelligent, well-spoken. They're Canadian, so they're very nice. Yes, okay? true. Alex always gets the short end of the stick. Yeah, because he does. on the virtuoso scale, oh, Neil Peart, he's the best in the world. Getty Lee's a phenomenal bass player and multi-instrumentalist. And Alex is kind of like... The guitar player. He's the guitar player. Yeah. And yet, I could almost make the case that of all three, he might be the most groundbreaking of them all. Oh, okay, why? Why, why more so than Neil Peart? <sighs> Because, and here's a perfect example. And here's, I, I told you that we wanted to talk. So I want to talk about Alex Lifeson. Okay. And then a broader conversation about guitarists. And, and I call them the texturalists. Texturalists, got it. Texturalists. These are the guitar players that you don't think of when you think of scorching guitar solos, the traditional hard rock lead guitar player. These are not those types of guys. You mentioned the police. Yes. Andy Summers at the, is at the top of that list. Oh, yes. And I think much of hard rock is so focused on lead guitar that we just kind of skip over those guys. But Andy Summers is another guy who's just brilliant. The The Edge. We've talked about The Edge. Yes. Texturalist. You don't think of The Edge as a phenomenal solo player, but he crafts these soundscapes right that are just beautiful right? absolutely so alex lifeson here's why he's unique and if you go back to the early days of rush they more than about any band that i can think of any band that's been around for a long time you'll see it change right? absolutely except maybe like acdc right, <laughs> <laughs> right? and i they, they, and no, i love i love acdc but seriously they have not really changed yeah, you, and you buy the new album it's like the old album, and, yeah. and that's and that's, that's kind of what we like yeah. about acdc right you know what you're gonna get yeah. but if you were to put a needle on the first rush album and then on their last album in 2015 i mean it's completely there is it's come they've gone a completely different direction right but here's the thing about Alex. First of all, let's talk about his lead guitar playing because he's a phenomenal lead guitar player. And he doesn't sound... Okay, first album, they were Zeppelin clones, and they'll even tell you. We were into Ze Led Zeppelin, so they sound like Led Zeppelin. But, but by about the third or fourth album, he doesn't sound like anyone. And, and I'll give you an example. You listen to his solo in Free Will on Permanent Waves. That is one of the weirdest, coolest solos ever. And then you flip it over and you play the song Madrigal. I think it's Madrigal on side two of Permanent Waves. Very low, down tempo. And he plays just these craziest solos that don't sound like anyone else. Right. The Limelight solo. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Just, just totally unique and original. And he never gets any credit for that i think part of what made 
his what makes his guitar playing like special is that he is really conscious of being in a trio and he is very conscious of like saying like I'm going to let other members of the band shine for 16 measures or whatever yeah. and I'm going to shine and I'm going to give the shine back you know yes yeah. it was kind of um at least from my opinion yeah. it's it's that he considers the song more important than his solos and I think that's kind of the opposite for most blazing lead guitar players is right. the song serves the solo not that the solo serves the song yeah and that could be and I think when we get to the the textural piece right and and again just so you guys know what we're talking about texture maybe that's not the best word but you know what i mean john when i say textural right like in a in a jazz sense it'd be kind of like called comping comping yeah uh, the accompaniment you play behind but and i think what i think what you say about this idea of a three piece the police this is the case as well All right think about the chord choices that Alex Lifeson makes or an Andy Summers makes. They're not simple. I mean, there's some power chords, but yeah. for the most part, John, I know you're a fan of suspended chords, you yeah. know, these big suspended chords that r ring out and are sustaining and they're, it's not just uh, clean tones too, right? right? Playing a lot of clean tones. Alex would obviously, there's Rush songs that are a lot of overdrive and distortion, but there's a lot that are very clean, especially in the later years. And it's much more about, like you said, comping background. And and I, I just think Alex is a master at that. And I remember, because by this time I was playing guitar, this would have been early 80s, and I would buy the... They went through a phase where even the dumb magazines like, uh, you know, there was always Guitar Magazine. There was Guitar Player, Player guitar, guitar World, guitar. guitar for the Practicing Musician. Yes, yeah. there was a, yeah, tons that of was, and, and And the thing with Guitar Magazine was the one that came with like pages and pages of tab. Oh, yes. Yeah. I actually have a one sitting at my bedside table right the, now. Yeah, I have a, I have a footlocker full of old magazines and, i should go and back like and you're look like at one day i'm gonna learn that I'm song learn that song and you never well, you never do it's funny <laughs> you say that because i have the tab of spirit of radio oh from permanent wave so i sat down and worked through that for months to try and, and it still sounded like crap but there again perfect example of those big ringing chords and i can remember it was like an epiphany because because this was like in a circus magazine. Remember circus circus circus, oh. <laughs> circus so wasn't a guitar magazine, but it was like that was a magazine about all the hair metal oh, bands. It was and a whole, hard rock horrible magazine. Remember there was circus, there was cream, there was hit parader, hit parader. Oh, yeah. hit parader was probably the worst. Ugh. But in circus magazine, they started a they'd have a little you know at the back when you have the regular columns you know yes the columns they had a they had a guitar column in circus so i guess they figured well there's probably some pimply teenage boys that play guitar so let's put a guitar page in for it and i remember i'm looking at i'm looking at john's guitar though i'm going to grab john's guitar please do so okay, hang on. now i'm not sure this is in tune john it is absolutely not in tune okay so this is an acoustic guitar it is it is in definite need of a uh a reset but, of the bridge. But I remember there was one of those guitar columns about Alex Lifeson, right? And and where I was in my guitar playing, I kind I knew the base, you know, the basic power chords, you know. Anyone that plays guitar, you learn power chords fairly simply. And 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 much of rock music was those power chords. This one column was about Alex Lifeson's suspended chords. Okay. And they diagrammed how to play these. That Ooh, is kind of out of tune. But but it was a different sound than just a right. a power chord. It was like and I heard that and I was like that's that that's that sound cuz you know you heard it in Sorry, that was supposed to be Spirit of the Rain. But you heard that, that those ringing chords, and to me, that was like a light bulb going off. So, um, I mean, I was went to music school, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. So, for our listeners out there, a suspended chord is like, 
there's only two notes you can suspend. Mm -hmm. It's the second and, and the, the fourth. fourth. So basically, these notes do not fit in the chord whatsoever. So if you have a C chord and it's a C, you know, suspended second, you add a D to it. That that D does not fit in that chord at all. So what happens is those notes cause tension, but kind of a a fun tension because that two wants to go down to one. Right. So that D note wants to go down to C. Note. So that's that's the kind of that the tension that's creating is like it's almost like. Um, like a positive tension, you know, like and and they're not really major or minor, right? Is that correct? If you talk about a suspended, a suspended fourth in particular, okay. So a suspended fourth wants to go down, so that would be in a C major scale or a C major chord. It would be an F, okay. So the F wants to go down to an E, so it's a half step movement, and it's that tension, the suspension, right, mm -hmm. that gives it that airy sound it's it's almost like optimistic because it's looking for change if that's yeah, a way to say yeah. It. no but that's exactly what it it leads your ear it leads your ear i didn't want mean this to turn this into a guitar yeah. lesson but right so like if this you know you have oh, that a, it's so out bad. of tune it's out of, <laughs> but you still hear it right you sit so, so you hear that suspense and then if you you resolve it to that a i'm trying not to play the one that's out of tune but but to your point, your your ear wants to go to that. Right. But but that lesson just opened that that idea of that was that was the Alex Lifeson sound, right? And then his name's escaping me. The guitar player for Dream Theater, Petrucci. Petrucci. He talks about the Alex Lifeson chord, and this is what everyone calls the Alex Lifeson chord. The first time I heard this chord. You know, it's that first chord in the beginning of Hemispheres, and I think it's in Xanadu somewhere. Same thing. I mean, that's just such a cool, big, fat, ringy, open chord. And what you were saying about the three-piece is, and it's interesting, because John, when we played in the band, John had some original songs, and John likes those ringy, yeah. suspendy chords. Yeah, they're fun. They're fun, and I think in the context of a, of a three-piece, it feels more sonic territory than if he was just playing a, a power chord, right. for instance. And the thing about suspensions is you can uh, you can play them as diamonds, which is like a whole note, mm -hmm. or you can play them as like a passage. So you can actually play a bit of uh, like texture in it. Let me see that yeah, guitar yeah, for a yeah. second. This one is much, much better. Okay, John actually grabbed... His guitar that's actually in tune. Actually in tune. So, um, like, this is a general or regular C major chord. Right. And here is a C um, add nine or mm -hmm. a C suspended second. So you can go. Right. And now here's a C with a fourth added. So it's an S, so C. Yeah. So that fourth note. Mm -hmm. So you can. And it wants, yes, the ear wants to take you back to that regular C. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that stupid little column in Circus Magazine just blew me away. You know, I, I was probably a sophomore in high school. And up until then, all I'd played was like just your basic power chords. And, you know, you didn't hear chords like that on a Judas Priest album. No. Or ACDC. You know, or, yeah, or ECDC. Though, interestingly, if you go to a song like uh, You Shook Me All Night Long, it has the G or the C add nine all over it. Right. right? That's the Brian Adams chord. Right. Every Brian Adams song has a C add nine chord in it. Yeah. Uh, so you do kind of hear those things. But that was an epiphany for me, this idea of suspended chords, because I just, that was the sound I heard on all over moving pictures, all over permanent waves. And even then, when I knew what I was listening for, I could go all the way back to 2112 and hear he was doing some of it way back then. But Alex Lifeson, in my mind, virtuoso in terms, and then you listen to a song like, I can't think, well, there's tons of ripping guitar solos that he plays that you could say, as a soloist, he's one of the best. Truly unique. You don't hear an Alex Lifeson solo and go, that sounds just like Eric Clapton, or that sounds just like, you know, like Eddie Van Halen. You right. hear Eddie Van Halen, you know it's Eddie Van Halen. Right. I hear the same with Alex Lifeson. Very unique voice, but I think he makes an even bigger contribution 
in his texture texturalism texturalism right? Got it. so that's kind of what i was thinking i i think he needs to get more props but i think he kind of was in the shadow being in a band with neil peart and getty lee because they both are kind of held up on this pedestal and like you said oh alex lifeson he's just the guitar player have you seen that video where alex and getty are in a restaurant and the waitress is trying to get autographs oh, right. from getty yeah. She doesn't even know who the heck Alex is. She's just reaching over. Oh, can you sign this for my son? Can you sign this? And of course, Eddie's doing, here's Alex sitting right next to him. And she doesn't even know who he is, doesn't even care. But she recognized Getty Lee and wanted his autograph. That's awesome. I and would... and that's just so. Oh, I, th- I think the typical guitar yeah. media at, at the time really didn't know where to put him. I, I completely agree. So back in the day, there was something called a magazine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've talked about were these things you hold in your hands of paper, <laughs> and, and it was easier to put a person on the cover that had big hair, mm-hmm. even though Alex did at the time had you know big hair and spandex and a flashy guitar, and where you if you listened to the song, you knew exactly when they were playing. Mm-hmm. You know. They might have had, you know, a rhythm track with a bunch of guitars on it, whatever. But when they played their solo, you know who it was. Oh, yeah. So I think it was it was easier to brand those other guitarists as like, this is the hotshot musician in the band is the guitarist. And that's almost true for almost any band. So oh, totally. I, and even though Alex Van Halen was a terrific drummer. And right. It's all about Eddie. It's yeah. all, all about the, the mm-hmm. lead guitarist, mm-hmm. you know. But with that band, it was like a different dynamic. Yep. And to your point, exactly – when did he, uh, from 80 on, he had short hair, wearing a t- tie. You know, here's a guy in the Guitar World magazine who's, like, wearing a coat and tie, and he's got his kind of waver hairdo. Yeah, he did not look the part of a hard rock guy and he, at all. I heard one in one guitar magazine I re- read, it was it stuck out to me that he had a, he had a Jaguar, like an oh. older Jaguar, and uh, he put 12 coats of lacquer on it so it would shine. I'm like... <laughs> You know, if I was that rich, I would have yeah. a car with 12 coats of lacquer <laughs> on it, you know. <laughs> and here's what's funny. If you're a Rush fan, you might know this, but of all three members, Alex Lifeson is actually the most gregarious and outgoing and talks the most and is, he could literally be a stand-up comedian. He's a ham. He's a ham, big time. And yet that's completely, because like you said, up until that point, kids back before the internet, right? You maybe, you know, I can remember Rush's first, and they made a big deal about it on MTV at the time. It was Rush's first televised concert, you know, and this was from, this was probably Grace Under Pressure. So probably 84, 85. And, you know, that's all you saw him. You saw him play a show. You didn't hear them talk. You didn't. There were no interviews. And so based on what you'd see is you just figured that he's this very restrained. That was the persona that was exactly was that these guys are, you know, so into their own music. They they can't relate to people, you know, it's like they're just so they're brilliant. Stand, just admire them from afar. (laughs) Yeah, that's totally what it was. I mean, I've seen the, the documentary on what's on Netflix. What is it called? Oh, I forgot what it's called, but it's, it's a Beyond rush. Beyond the lighted stage. Yeah, maybe. maybe that was it. But those two, Alex Lifeson and Getty Lee, they're just, they are just, they just bounce off each other. Oh, crack ups. Yeah. And Neil's in the back, just like, go play, guys. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you guys. Yeah, totally. He's I, like the adult. Because I, I think, didn't the Alex Lifeson and, and Getty, they knew each other like in elementary oh, yeah. school, right? Like from the time they were like eight years old. Yeah. And they started the band together when they were 15. Neil came in for the second album, but yeah, and and we could do a whole thing on on Rush. But I I was just was thinking about Alex Lifeson. Interestingly enough, he's just recorded a new album with a new group, and I should have it in front of me, but I don't have it in front of me. They've got this. I've listened to the their lead off single. It sounds nothing like Rush. I would have no idea that Alex Lifeson was involved in it, but that's, you know, kind of what he's 
kind of what he's doing now. He's produced some albums for other folks. I think his son is a musician too, and he's produced some albums for his son's band and things. But he was a very inspirational figure to me just because he had such a different sound. And I can remember going to the music store and seeing this old, you know, he was probably 18 years old. I was 15 at the time. But watching him play Rush songs, and he was really good. I was immediately I, I humbled because I'm I'm home playing dun, 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 you know, and he's like doing all these arpeggiated suspended chords and from rush songs. I'm like, that's a whole different I mean this is this isn't like playing a kiss song, right? right. There's or a, there's or a Ramon song. Or a Ramon song. There was there was some stuff going on and and so he, he's always been one of those people that is and rush is the band for me i just posted a meme on the twitter that says something about you know you know you'll hear all these bands throughout your life but there's always one band that you always go back to you might not listen to them for a while but then you always go back and to, for me rush is probably that band you know that I Like I said, I haven't really listened to their music post about 1990, but all the stuff up until then, that's just been such a part of my life, listening to all of that. And I know every nook and cranny of most of those albums. And uh, I just don't understand why Alex doesn't get more more love than he gets in terms of, of being considered one of the great guitar players. I, I personally think if he was in a different band setup, he would have probably got more. Probably, probably so. If you had a four piece, I think, where you had a rhythm guitar or a keyboard player, and he was just doing guitar over the top, I think he would have got more recognition. Could be, could be. Yeah. So when we come back, John, I want to kind of open it up, okay. and, and I want you to talk because I talk too much. No, but I want I want to hear your thoughts on these textural guys too. Okay. Because I think that's an interesting conversation because, and you summed it up very well when you talked about, you know, the guitar player was always kind of the, we have a guitar press, you know, there's not a lead singer magazine, right? right? There's guitar magazines. And so the heroes are always that flashy lead guitar player. But to me, some of the most compelling stuff are the texture guys. Yeah. And so we'll talk about that when we come back. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Radio Sweeper Guy. I'm five foot six, weigh 132 pounds, and live in the basement. You might call me a loser, but I've got this mic processor that makes me sound really cool. So here I sit in my basement making sweepers. Oh, by the way, this is the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. It's Jeremy and John, and we're talking about the texturalists, okay? Those guitar players that aren't necessarily known for their flashy guitar solos, and we really focused a lot on Alex Lifeson, because in my mind, he's one of the great texturalist guitar players. But we've, we've also mentioned some others like Andy Summers, I mentioned The Edge. You yeah. mentioned some others uh, earlier. Billy Duffy, um, Johnny Marr. Johnny Marr. Billy Duffy. I don't know the guy's name. The guy in The Cure. Yeah. So I uh, think in New Wave, the more New wave tinge stuff, I think we see a lot more of this type I, of guitar. I think so. Thing. I mean, power chords are the bread and butter of rock. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, if you can't play a power chord, you know, if, if, you, walk in, if you walk into a garage band... With if knowing how to put your fingers in a in a power chord, power chord, you can play any song they got basically. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I really liked. I saw the Edge a couple of years ago. We, we he did the U um, two was doing their uh, Joshua Tree. Re, I mean, redo whatever right, they call right. it. So we saw him in Seattle, and the thing I noticed about it is it's easier to play like that. Mm-hmm. So, not saying that's bad. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, if you're 60 years old on stage and you're trying to rip off. A Jason Becker solo, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, you're probably not going to do it in a stadium, you know? Right, right. I don't know if they were thinking that far ahead, but it's easier to make places for yourself to shine like that. So if the entire song mm-hmm. is just balls to the wall, it, that's yeah. that's one thing. But there's right. you kind of want to make moments in a song if you right. can, you know? And I think these textural guitarists like The Edge mm-hmm. can really make a song more propelled that way by playing more textural stuff and then going for a lead sound a couple times mm-hmm. in the back and forth, you know. I'm going to ruffle feathers, John, sorry. Not your feathers, because I think you probably agree with me, but look at you 2 perfect example. And I don't mean this in a disparaging way. Think about the bass lines. Think about the drum parts. Right. Very simple. There, I mean, there's not much to there's not much to them. The, the drum parts, the bass parts. There's not much to the guitar parts. No, as in terms of degree of difficulty, right? And yet, you two to me kicks the crap out of King Crimson. Okay, that's and then that's th- a bold this, statement. This it's a very bold statement. A lot of people love King Crimson, but man, King Crimson is is just proof that. You get together a bunch of excellent musicians, doesn't mean they're going to put out excellent music. I mean, I'm I'm going to throw it out there, and I think a lot of <laughs> I don't know why I'm beating up on King, <laughs> King Crimson. Crimson. I actually like Tony Levin. Is that yeah. the guy's name? The phenomenal, phenomenal, amazing bass player. Robert Fripp, phenomenal, and a very textural guitar player, yes. by the way. But he sits down the whole time. You ever watch a concert of King Crimson? The uh, lead guitar player sits down the whole time. I hate that. But my point is this. Degree degree of difficulty does not make for m- good music, and and that's not to say King Crim. You know, in the court of the Crimson King, some people think that's one of the greatest albums, ever, and there's good stuff in there. Don't get me wrong, but music that connects and 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 has emotion to it, it has nothing to do with how much theory was involved Ex- exactly. or technical prowess. But you take a song, a YouTube's YouTube, a U two song. Joshua Tree is, in my mind, one of the most beautiful albums ever made. It's a beautiful, I mean, listening to that, I mean, I saw it in concert. So they had, um, this is in the Seattle Seahawks, whatever that arena is, they've rebranded. Every few years. So they have, uh, like stadium shows or something that is, it's a completely different experience. Yeah. So you really can't see the uh, performer's face. Mm -hmm. You can't barely see their bodies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they had this gigantic video wall behind them, and it went from basically the sideline to the sideline, mm-hmm. a gigantic thing. It must have been like 30, 40 feet tall, and it had the album cover of Joshua Tree on it and actually had like a cutout of the, the, the tree on it. And it was just like such a immersive experience. You have, you have the sound. You have other people getting involved and, and feeling it. You have the lights. You have the display. You have the sing, and it's just an elevating thing. Crim- King Crimson is not going to do that, right? Right. It's going to be maybe uh, it might have booked a show at a college, a music college, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for a for Let's a recital. Let's make sure there's five chairs for each member to sit on up on the stage. Yes, yeah. and they'll probably have more people on stage than in the seats. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> now we're King Crimson haters. Um, no, no. And no. I don't, you know, I, I, I know those guys are brilliant musicians. All of them. They're all very, very good. Tip top. Bill Bruford. Phenomenal. One of the greatest drummers ever. But it's it's math rock, right? It's yeah. it's it's the it, it, it's so and there's nothing wrong with this, but but it appeals to such a small group of people it's very niche like yes yes is the same way early yes early yes though i i dig yes a lot more than king crimson i have to say and and again i like to nerd out on that stuff too occasionally but my point was not to beat up king crimson but just to make the point that 
being highly technical does not necessarily mean the music's better. Listenable. <laughs> Listenable. Exactly. Exactly. And so my, here's my, my theory, my, my thesis is that the purpose of art is basically a work. Mm -hmm. So art is to evoke emotion. Mm -hmm. So if you have a painting that you do not like, maybe the artist intended you to not like that painting. You right. Know? So when you hear music and you don't, you don't connect with it emotionally, that's the big thing for me is if I connect, I mean, I connect with, um, you two like crazy. Some of those mm -hmm. songs, you know, Bl Sunday, bloody Sunday, mm -hmm. you know, when I was 17 years old playing that cassette in my, my 84 Volkswagen, I had, tan I had Volkswagen cassette. rabbit, yeah. but playing those songs, it was like, you kind of got an insight into what Sunday bloody Sunday was, you know, you, you, you felt emotion about it, you know, and a lot of this math rock stuff is kind of like, you're, you're kind of like not at ease with your, with your emotions, you yeah, know, there's, there's a great, and I, I, my intention was not to beat up, yeah. up King Crimson, but yeah. I'm thinking of all these funny King Crimson quotes. Robert Fripp said, yeah, don't worry about playing the one. We all know where the one is. <laughs> You know, that was kind of their whole, their whole construct was, we're all, Bill Bruford says, so when you joined King Crimson, it was like, yeah, we, we, we all know you came from a different band and you did all this stuff with your different band, but just, we don't care about it in this band. You know, it was all about, we're going to play this weird, quirky stuff. And yes, I'm going to sit down the whole concert and it doesn't connect to me on it. And they have some good tunes. Don't get me wrong, but. It's not like, like I said about you too. You know, they ha they they have a way to connect, make an emotional connection. And some people don't like you too. Some people you don't. Know? I mean, Queen was the same way. Absolutely, perfect example. They had some very technical songs that people, the B sides that you probably never heard. Mm -hmm. But then they have this very popular stuff that is bombastic and big and yep. loud, and you know. So we talked about Andy Summers. Andy Summers. Talk about the edge. The edge. Andy Summers. I want to say a little bit more about Andy Summers. Andy Summers. He was a jazz musician. Jazz he? musician. Very jazzy. And his choice of instrument was always strange for jazz. A Telecaster and jazz. Not a not common. Not a no. common thing. Yeah. And he. we were talking before we started about how in the 80s that, that was the uh, – more guitar nerdiness here. That was the age. That's when the big rack processors Racks. came in for guitar players. Yes. I remember seeing this would had to have been what well, was after synchronicity, but I, I saw a documentary about the police and Andy Summers had so much unbelievable, the processing, yes. you know, that his guitar went through to get this sound, you know, um, and the edge too. And, oh, the edge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. But it, it was interesting. I remember Andy Summers, the way he would play chords, you know, like, like if you or I were going to play a C sharp minor, you know, I, I probably know exactly the shape you'd play, probably the exact same shape I'd play. But that's, I'm like, that's not the C sharp minor I play, you know, yeah. so it's just, it, it, it's interesting that he, and it, maybe it's the jazz background, right? That it's, he came from. We used to call those stretched chords. Yeah, and his lot of stre <laughs> stretched Stretch chords. chords. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with so when you're playing guitar, you have a, a whole bunch. You're relying on muscle memory. You practice and practice these mm -hmm. chord shapes over and over. See if you grab the neck in a certain place. Mm -hmm. If you if you aim your eye at the dot <laughs> on the fifth fret, <laughs> and you hit the third string with this finger, you're going to play the chord that you practiced five thousand times before. Right. Playing those kind of chords is a different matter altogether. Right. Playing these extended um, stretched hand chords is really. Not, it does not come easy to most people. It never came easy to me. And we talked about the suspended chords of mm -hmm. Alex Lifeson. Some people say that he borrowed from, and you hear it on Permanent Waves, what happened between uh, Hemispheres and Permanent Waves was the police. Oh. And uh, one of the criticisms of Permanent Waves was, I can remember reading reviews and it said, oh, they're copying the police. You know, it's like, interesting. But Rush was was aware of other stuff going on around them. And so The Edge, perfect example. You get into um, 
Grace under pressure was at 84, 85, somewhere around there. Well, what happened before that? U2 had come out, you know, and, and we start to hear a lot of these delay type figures in his plane. The so dotted, noted. dotted, yep, dotted totally, eighth. totally. So again, I, th- I think, well, here I'm back to Lifeson, but I think he would notice trends that were going on. Moving pictures, we've got Vital Signs, which is kind of a ska song. Mm-hmm. That's the first time we see Rush playing a ska song. Well, even Spirit of Radio has kind of that reggae part it, in the middle. It has a whole re- but, reggae breakdown. And and a lot of people say that was the police influence. Could be. But a lot of there's some similarities between the the suspendy chords, the clean plane, that th- kind of I stuff. I think one of the big drivers for um Andy Andy Summers, Summers. was he used a uh, a Roland. Yeah. He used a Roland amplifier. So back in the day, uh, Roland was coming into the music business. They had some, they hadn't really developed the the little small pedals yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They had bigger pedals and they came up with an amplifier that was loud and clean. Yep. The JC120. JC120. So it had 120 watts and two 12-inch speakers. And I saw one about two years ago, an, an original one in a pawn shop, and that thing is a beast. They are heavy, yep. heavy, heavy. But one thing they had in was a chorus circuit. So uh, chorus circuits are basically like you think about a choir. Mm-hmm. When a choir sings a note, everybody's got a little bit different pitch. And our ears kind of perceive that as like width, like depth. Mm-hmm. Like, like So what this circuit had done on the on the Roland Jazz Chorus 120 is it had one speaker that was slightly detuned and one that wasn't. So when you and it was actually like an almost like a like a 3D kind of sound. So you get this really I mean if you're in a room with a JC120 it fills the whole room with this like full on ambient sound. Yeah. This there's like a wall of like thickness to it. So I think that was one thing that was really driving, you know, Andy Summers was that amp. And he uses it to such a degree that it's almost a warped yes, sound. You, you, can, actually, kind of you sound. can actually detune them quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And that was his, uh, you know, you, you don't notice it as much when you hear all the other instruments going on with it. But just hearing his guitar, I remember on this documentary when he played, I go, wow, that's really warbly sounding, right? But that was just the unique sound. That yeah. he had, and it was it was cool. One of the songs that we played together in our band was Synchronicity 2. That's a fun song. I love that song. And to me, that's the quintessential. It's got a driving bass. It's got the funky, you know, guitars going on. But that's what was so cool about Andy Summers. And he very rarely, occasionally, he'll play a single note solo. Yes. You know, in Message in a Bottle. Yes. He'll do some blues licks. They're basically just blues licks, but they kind of got the warbly sound that he's using in the rhythms. But he's another one that just has a very distinct sound. And 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 so that's why I use the word texture, right? It's very ringy and chimey and chorusy and sounds really cool. You it, know, it's a cool really sound. Cool. And like I said earlier, the new the new wavy kind of guys and and I don't know if this was all Andy Summers probably inspired some of this but there were other guys you mentioned Johnny Marr uh that had been around for quite a while that had you know even David Gilmore I mean you David don't you Gilmore. don't think of him as a new wave guy at all but delay you know the the dotted eighth note delay and all of that stuff he but, was and you look at David Gilmore in the 80s and early 90s, mm-hmm. he was almost like, so Pink Floyd wasn't a thing as much. Right, right, for sure. He was guesting on everybody's records. Yep. He was performing live with all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And his sound was like, it's wide, it's spacious, it's an, oh, 80s, yeah. an 80s sound. So much delay. Yes. So much delay. But no one, there's nothing cooler than a David Gilmore solo. Yeah. Over a slow progression and he just wails. It's not blurring fast. It's just tasty and yes. it sounds really good. He's a very good example. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that's like hard for young players to get because the first thing you buy is a guitar. 
Second thing you buy is an amp. Third thing you buy is a distortion exactly. pedal. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly yeah, the order. Yeah. I bought the guitar. I didn't yeah. have anything to play through yeah. it. I saved up another 150 bucks. I bought yep. an amp. Then I saved up another 40 bucks and bought a distortion circ- a distortion <laughs> That's pedal. So funny. I, I think I bought a, a DOD FX whatever. It was an orange pedal, and it was like, oh man, I'm I'm a rock star now. You know? That's uh, yeah. But, but that's, that's that's totally the way it's, it works. They, you don't go like, oh, I want to buy a guitar. I'm going to buy an amp. I'm going to buy a chorus next. You don't. Yeah. No. No. I, nobody does. That. I I worked through high school. Okay, so I'm just like you. So I get this little guitar. I bought my first electric guitar. In 1981, it was a Fender. I could I could write books about the stupid stuff I've done with my gear. I won't get into that. I had a little Fender, a 67 Fender Duo Sonic. Okay. It looked like a little Mustang. If I yeah. still had it today, it'd be worth something. I had that, but no amp. So my brother had, the summer before, had bought a bass. He had this SG copy bass and an old Univox amp. And so I would plug my guitar into that, just an amp. I think it had a volume and tone control on the bass amp, but if I cranked it, it would it would distort. You know, so I, that was my sound. Actually, I think my first oh. my first amp was my my. So back in the sixties and seventies, hi fi was something, mm-hmm. and you had these entertainment centers, which was a giant like a dresser filled with. Stuff. Oh yeah. So dad was stationed in Japan. And he bought all this Sony and Panasonic stuff, which was good top of the oh, line. Oh my man. gosh, it was yeah. a great stuff. And I just waited for him to leave, and then I would <laughs> plug in, plug in, <laughs> plug in my guitar into the TAC, the reel to reel, and then there you go. select that on the big. Had these big uh, knobs with big detents on it. It was beautifully. I mean, this stuff he had was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would get this like horrible sound, and then I'd be like waiting for Dad to pull up, and I have to like close the everything. close <laughs> yeah. unplug everything, turn everything off, and close. <laughs> Close the cabinet door, you know. So my music arsenal took it. I'm thinking about, okay, Christmas of 82. So right before 83, this is my sophomore year. This was cool of my brother. My brother bought me an amp. Wow. It was a little Fender Harvard Reverb, a solid state amp. I think he paid 100 bucks for it. But this had overdrive. Overdrive on it. On it. Yeah. And it even had reverb. So this was like a whole new world for me. So I had that, and then I started working. So once I was working, I bought a brand new Bandit 65, a PV Bandit 65, brand new in 83. And then working at McDonald's, every paycheck, guess what I'd go buy? A new pedal. New pedal. So I had all Boss, had the Boss. I had a few Ibanez pedals, but I had the Boss uh, the DS1. Right. I had the Chorus, the CE2 at CE2, the time. Yeah. I had, I had an Ibanez flanger for, I think, cause it was at a pawn shop. Then I got the graphic EQ. Then I eventually got a, a delay too. So then I was, you know, I was full on, you know, playing all the hits, but, uh, that was a good time, man. Uh, collecting those pedals and, and I would try and be Mr. Alex Light, you know, playing these big fat open chords. Of course, it sounded terrible, and I had way much gain, too much gain and stuff. But that's what really—I mean—that to me was more inspirational to me than than trying to just learn the the power chords and stuff. You know who my pick for the best textural guitarist is? Oh, let's hear it. It's Eddie Van Halen. Everybody thinks like yeah. he was just an amazing lead player. What do you think isn't behind the singer the whole time? It, well, exactly. It's, it's his textural stuff. And now that you mention it, okay, the first the song that popped to my mind is Pretty Woman, yes. which is just a cover tune, and yet he's playing big fat suspended second chords all behind. You're right. You yeah. know, he really does do some pretty cool yeah, he, stuff. And I think I really wish get those guitar magazines at the time would have I mean, they they focus solely on lead guitar. Exactly. And they didn't ever really focus on a band. There wasn't like a band magazine. No. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, you're right. It you know, was... this is how you set up your PA. This is yeah, what yeah. sound you want to get. There was always like, oh, you need these pedals and this guitar and you're going to be you're a rock ready. star, you know? Yeah. It was never like taken in a in a group context mm. of like, that, mm. that was one thing I wish they'd kind of 
they should have done to propel the whole industry because they sold in the eighties. They sold so many electric guitars. Oh yeah, so many. I mean, they had they had uh, guitar shops in malls. Oh yeah, almost like a, a Starbucks kiosk. Yeah, you could go in and and there'd be a music store in a mall. Yes, I remember. And that. a mall would have a music store. Yeah. And you're spot on with Eddie. I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. You go back and look, his rhythm playing is as good as his lead playing. Yes. I agree. So I think the the textural stuff kind of originates from a three-piece. That's my, you know. It, it kind of makes sense. Where, where the guitar player has to vamp, they have to comp. A whole lot more than you know they would do in a in a band with a keyboard or piano and plus a, a rhythm guitar you know so right. they have to get a fuller sound they have to kind of be in the back so that's where they get this, these techniques of kind of you know filling out the sound a little bit as mm -hmm. opposed to just constantly being front and center exactly that's a great that's a really good point I just thought of two albums that I got to find these I have these cassettes at home I got to think of where they are. Mid eighties, I used to play the crap out of them. I, I'd put them in at night because they were good to go to sleep to. That doesn't mean they're boring. It just means they're good to go to. So there's an album that Andy Summers did after, after I beat up on King Crimson for <laughs> half an hour. There's an album that Andy Summers did with Robert Fripp. It's called I Advance Masked. That's, hey, it's apropos for today. I it's did. called I Advance Masked. And uh, imagine the frenetic Robert Fripp noodling over Andy Summers' big textural chords. It's pretty cool. Okay. And it's instrumental. Uh, the other one, remember the terrible movie 2010? Not 2001, but 2010. I don't. Roy Scheider. It was a big stiff. It came out in like 85. It was a terrible movie, but the soundtrack was done by Andy Summers. And... It's the same type of thing, and I used to just listen to that soundtrack oh, album was, that on was cassette. The, yeah, 2010 was the... Uh, Sequel of 2001, the, Space yeah, Odyssey. that movie was not good. No, it wasn't good. Yeah. It was just... I don't even remember the movie other than it, just thinking that really sucked. But <laughs> but musically, the soundtrack was, was pretty cool. I don't know if I call him a textural guy, but when we were talking about soundtracks, it made me think of Mark Knopfler. Mark Knopfler yeah. has done some great soundtrack stuff. He's a, he's like a different beast, you know. He he's he's we should do a show on on him. Did you ever see him and Chet Atkins together? Yes. You know, as a guitar player, if I was ever like good enough to play with Chet Atkins, yeah. you would be like, oh, this guy, you know. Yeah. So it's interesting you say that because obviously Chet Atkins was a country guy. But Chet Atkins was one of these guys, it's always going to sound like Chet Atkins, but the whole, he's playing the melody with his fingers while he strums it. I mean, I have some Chet Atkins albums at home that I found at Goodwills for 50 cents, you know, when I buy them. But the guy was phenomenal, and he inspired so many Mark Knopfler, right. but so many of these Eric Clapton guys that you wouldn't. Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson. He was a textural guy yes. when you think about it, because he wasn't doing single note wailing blues solos like B.B. King or someone was at the time. But he just played this beautiful kind of self-accompanied stuff that just sounded really good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, he's a and great example. The thing about it is like I've seen him uh, on YouTube on when he's done like live performances, Chet mm -hmm. Atkins. And he's doing a solo by himself, unaccompanied. I'd be like, that would be terrifying yeah, how to do me. You do that totally. <laughs> That'd be like, ah, uh, no, I'm not yeah. going to take this gig. No way, I'm not going to be naked in front of all these people with my yeah. guitar. But he was comfortable doing that. Yeah, and that is that's 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 a pretty elite bunch there for sure. Another guy I just thought of, you know, I, I again I was bashing King Crimson, but he was in King Crimson, Adrian Ballou. Oh, yeah. Uh, he played with David Bowie for a while. He played with David Bowie. He was in King Crimson. And he's very much a textural guy. Right. Crazy. He'd use a whammy bar a lot. And he's a drill or something. I, I don't know. But he did some pretty wacky stuff. Phil Manzanera, he was in uh, Roxy Music. 
I had a solo album of his too that was really, really good. So, you know, once you, what's the word I'm looking for? Once you separate yourself from this idea of the '80s, which was all about the big guitar solo, mm -hmm. and you you go out and listen to these guys that were a little more subtle, there was some cool stuff going on. There still is. But Alex Lifeson got me thinking about it, and I thought, well, let's talk about this part of classic guitar rock, these guys that aren't the screaming guitar solo guys, but just make great music. Yeah. And frankly, Eddie Van Halen, Eric Johnson, mm -hmm. you know, Jason Becker are all unattainable for me. I will never yeah, yeah. Oh, be able yeah. to I will oh, never yeah. be able to play like that. Some of this textual stuff, I can probably do some of it. And that's like attainable, you know. Yeah. Like, and and I'm so glad you mentioned Eric Johnson because again, we think of Eric Johnson the soloist, you know, and he's phenomenal, but I think even more phenomenal are the chord voicings he uses those, to watch him play rhythm yeah. guitar and he's like otherworldly right. the stuff he does you know these and he's just a great teacher too i like to watch his videos because he's just a very we talked about tim pierce we're both tim uh, pierce tim fans. pierce is great the rick beato fan rick you know. beato oh i saw um, yeah yeah have you seen eric johnson being interviewed by I rick beato have. that's a good one yeah. yeah but yeah eric johnson very textural guitar player i mean if you said eric you're not allowed to play any solos he'd still blow you away right the ringy, I love that tone. He's got two distinct tones. He's got his clean tone, which is just drenched in delay and chorus, but sounds awesome. And then his lead tone is like that violin sound. Right. That's completely different. And if you notice, like, like really, really good guitar players that know their instruments, there's little nuances that I cannot oh. do. Yeah. So watching, you know, I've seen this with Jeff Beck. And with Eric, with Eric Johnson is they work their tone controls on those strats. Oh, they work their volumes all the time. Yeah. I, I've, do actually, you ever use your tone control? Never. Never. Actually, I used to, <laughs> I used to actually get a piece of black electrician's tape <laughs> and tape my volume and so tape my five way switch yeah. so they wouldn't move because you're always hitting that five way switch. Totally. You know? But you want Jeff Beck's a perfect example. He's working the tone, the working volume. The tone and the volume. It's it's unbelievable. I'm glad you said that because here's one of the things. I'm sure Alex Lifeson wasn't the first. I'm going back to Alex Lifeson, but by touring the Snow Dog <laughs> on the All the Worlds of Stage album. It's on the uh, Fly by Night album. So so this is 1974 when Fly by Night comes out. I thought it was volume knob, right? Is is he does all these swells. You know, and that became a big part of, you know, later in Xana doing stuff, he's doing wah, 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 wah. You know, he's right. doing all that. And I thought it was all, I didn't know there was a thing, a thing called a volume pedal. I didn't, oh, yeah. I didn't realize. And maybe, maybe on like Bytor originally, it was a volume knob because Van Halen. Cathedral. Cathedral. Yeah. That's all knob. There's no, there's no volume pedal. That's, he's doing it all with the knob with his fingers, and, which. And a delay. Yeah. Yeah. Which blows me away. But when I watch the, uh, exit stage left concert you know in like 1981 i realized well he's cheating he's using it was a volume pedal <laughs> but that was a whole new thing because you got the volume pedal you got the delay going on you could do some really cool uh, stuff frankly i don't know of any guitarist that uses a volume pedal that way it's usually like for volume control. I don't know. I, I can't remember the last time I saw there are a many concert guys do it. or some where someone had a volume pedal. Mm -hmm. But that was another thing that blew me away about Alex Lifeson. And then I had to get a volume pedal, you know. So <laughs> actually, I had one of those too. It was yeah, a, a yeah. big old like Dunlop was it? Dunlop had the well. They had one that was a volume wah. You could switch between oh, a volume yeah. pedal and wah. This was fun geeking out on this. This is good. And my invitation to folks listening is take the time to listen to some of these textural guys, right? right. If you've just been listening to the Weedly Weedly guys, which is great, too. I like that. But some of these guys, there's some really cool stuff. And I'm in the uh, blog post that I make on this, I'm going to put some other videos in there, too. Awesome. Some, other, some playlists that are kind of cool, too. Perfect. And uh, one thing that we might want to pitch 
is that we're going to start playing a little bit of more guitar. Yeah, we we pulled the acoustic off the wall, and John's like, you know what? We should get it to where we can actually play guitar, and so we're going to do that. Yeah, we'll play a little we'll set some so licks can... or, and bring in some effects. I and think that'd be awesome. It'd be fun. So, so we'll, we'll add that. So thank you so much for listening. Hey, if you like this show, if this is something you enjoy listening to, we would invite you to check out our Patreon. It's Patreon slash Classic Guitar Rock for as little as three bucks a month. You can be a sponsor. That's less than the cost of a hamburger. You can't buy a hamburger. Well, there you go. You cannot buy a hamburger for three bucks. So think of the joy. You'll <laughs> but no, joy. seriously, if, 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 if you like what we're doing and are able to support us, we would really appreciate it. Because you can help us build a media empire here. Totally. And that's our plan. <laughs> World domination. World domination. Yes. All right. Thanks, John. We'll do it again next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Oh, sweetie. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're not ordinary people. <laughs> We're morons. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. <laughs>